This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. We've made it to a Friday drive. WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad. We're all around... Looks like a scary weekend for our locals in the ACC. North Carolina's on the road where they haven't won all year. I get it. It's Louisville, but no Armando Baycott. Armando! No Pete Nance. Hubert Davis said both those guys are doubtful for this game. Might give you pause going on the road, given North Carolina's track record. Louisville's not been playing... Terrible basketball lately. They almost got Wake Forest. The Deeks are back on the road. Do I even need to say where Wake Forest is at? Boston College. It's the first time they've met BC since the Eagles ended the Deeks tourney hopes last year. ACC tournament in Brooklyn. NC State Miami, that's a coin flip game in Raleigh. Then you've got the game you can listen to right here on WSJS, which is the most intriguing matchup in the ACC. It's Duke at Clemson at Little John Coliseum. Yeah! And even though the Tigers are unbeaten coming in, at least in ACC play, nobody seems to care. Not AP poll voters. Maybe not even Clemson fans. Wait, Duke's coming in? No Coach K, though. Okay, I could get back to reading another Garrett Riley breakdown. He's set to make 1750 million a year the Clemson board of trustees just approved of that contract today and I'm doing it doing the thing all the Clemson fans are doing I'm just focusing on football and not how good this basketball team is so nobody's taking Clemson seriously I think that changes after tomorrow because I like them to beat Duke in this game it's a good matchup for Clemp the Tigers they're 9-0 and at home this year Their average margin of victory is 14 a game. And you might think, oh, Josh is spinning it. Clemson didn't play anybody out of conference. This just includes a lot of blowouts against no-name teams. Tell me how they've been doing against ACC competition. I will. 3-0 at home in ACC games. 13-point margin. That was against Louisville this week. 14-point margin, that was against NC State, 20-point margin against Wake Forest. Clemson's a good home team. Duke, 1-2 and two in road games so far this year. The only one they won was last week in BC at Boston College. Boston when College. The last 30 seconds, Duke did everything in its power to try and give away that game. The way that Duke beats you is with bully ball. They're going to push you around in the paint, they're going to use your size, and it's going to bother you. I don't think that works against Clemson. Clemson doesn't strike me as the team that's going to get pushed around. A lot like Wake Forest didn't get pushed around when Duke went into the Joel. P.J. Hall, grizzled. First team, all-ACC caliber guy. Two of the most improved players in the league, Hunter Tyson and Chase Hunter. They... Both are really good players that can score it. And without Jeremy Roach in the lineup again, Duke's in real trouble here. 
It is absurd, though, that Clemson's not ranked in the top 25. That's absurd. At the start of the week, Clemson was 13-3 and overall, 5-0 and in the ACC. Only unbeaten team in the league. They beat, last Saturday, the other team that was previously unbeaten, Pittsburgh, in their building. Yet, the AP voters have decided there are 25 teams in the country with better resumes than Clemson has. Which is amazing to me, because... Clemson is 3-1 and one in quad one games so far this year. This isn't a team that is a fluke. This isn't a team that doesn't belong here. It's their first 6-0 and start to conference play in their 70-year history playing ACC basketball. I think it should be a rule. It should overrule AP voters that whoever's first place in the ACC standings should automatically be in the top 25 at the poll. It's like a rule. Sorry, Clemson is going to at least be at number 25 here because they're number one in the ACC, and the ACC is the best conference in college basketball. Just how it works. The disrespect, it needs to end, and I think it's going to because a win against Duke, that fixes problems. It did for NC State. The conversation around NC State 10 days ago was, I don't know if this team's going to make the tournament. Who have they really beaten? And you might be saying, it's just because they coupled back-to-back quad one wins that they're right now sitting top 30 in the net. But Clemson's won at Virginia Tech. So I doubt NC State's narrow win at Virginia Tech's the reason why they sit in the top 30 and that if you play NC State on your home floor right now, it'd be a quad one win for you. No, no, no. The reason why is because NC State beat Duke by a ton in their building. Beat Duke by a ton, by 24. Wouldn't matter where they did it. It'd be more impressive if they did it in camera, but even though it was at PNC Arena, 24, you beat Duke, man. The net and college basketball is going to love you all of the sudden. Duke still feels like a meal ticket that way to the NCAA tournament. It's not right. I'm not justifying it. But the road wins at Pitt and at Virginia Tech, they have not moved the needle for Clemson. Mm, not even a home win against NC State, which right now is a quad one for Clemson. The disrespect's real. But a lot of that can be changed with a win against the Blue Devils. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio, if you want in, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Will Dalton is the executive producer of the show. Some programming notes. We will not be live Monday in observance of Martin Luther King Day. It's live action, Tracy. WD, we need to figure out something to do. Here's a thought. Maybe don't wait till the last minute to watch Caddyshack. I had a feeling you might go with that. No chance that you watch that movie. Not a sh- no, no, no shot. Got to procrastinate. Yep. Got to be the thrill. Rushing it in at the last second, yep. giving me anxiety, and I'm not even the person who's watching it. WD's gonna watch movies while driving a car. Yeah, I'll, I'm. A, I'll next week. I'll do it on the way to the show. <laughs> in addition to airing Duke Clemson on WSJS, that's a five o'clock tip tomorrow. We'll have a full weekend of super wild card games in the NFL. The game I'm most looking forward to watching is the game that's also been talked about the most. 
and that's Cowboys Bucks on Monday. Are we sure Jerry won't make a coaching change? Should Tampa win this game? Because I'm not that certain. And I think that cloud hanging above the Cowboys this week is going to end up sinking them. Jerry Jones is already being asked about Mike McCarthy's job. If they lose to a below 500 Tampa team, it could become untenable. How old's Jerry Jones? Jerry, 79, 80, 81 maybe? He's 80. How many more cracks does he think he has at it? You think he's going to be patient? You know, got to give Mike McCarthy another chance. Or do you think, man, I only got so many more years on this earth. I want to win another title. I haven't won one in nearly 30 years. Kellen Moore's, he's interviewing for jobs. Looking at the Carolina Panthers opportunity, the Panthers have requested to interview him. It just feels like there's some uncertainty there. And the Sean Payton piece of this is central, especially given the news we've learned in the last hour, according to Diana Russini of ESPN, Sean McVay has let staff members know he's going to come back to the Rams. Looking at the jobs that Sean Payton is up for right now, not Sean McVay, Sean Payton. Denver has requested to interview him. Arizona and Houston. Give me the Rams job and give me the Cowboys job over both of those. Sean Payton, he has the ability to be picky, talented guy. He could stay in broadcasting or he could jump to a job, but he's not going to jump to a job that isn't a good one. The Saints, by the way, their owner, Mickey Loomis, said today, said that Dennis Allen is going to be back as their coach. So they're not going to look and see if they can bring Sean Payton back. The reason Sean Payton left that job is because they didn't have the quarterback. So what makes you think he's going to go to Houston? Or Denver, given how bad it looked with Russell Wilson and how they have no draft picks. Arizona, all that drama with Kyler Murray and the ownership situation. And that also applies to Houston as well. Those are not sustainable or they're not stable situations. Dallas? I don't know if it's stable, but you'll have an owner that wants to win with a ton of resources and a team that just made the playoffs. And there might be some of that Mac Brown, Larry Fedora back channeling going on where Larry Fedora gets fired on a Saturday and or on a Sunday morning and Mac Brown has the job on Monday morning. Hey, Sean Payton letting him know, hey, if you fire Mike McCarthy, I uh, might be interested in that job. I might be interested in returning to Dallas. The Bucs are going to win this game. They've beaten Dallas already, and that was in Big D early in the year. 19-3 was that score. Tom Brady, he's 7-0 against Dallas, and this is some advanced analytics for you here. He's pretty good in the playoffs. Tom Brady has a pretty good postseason record. I don't know if you knew that. Places, everyone. Come on, places, please. We're ready. Get your morning off to a great start with Jeffrey Griffin on Triad Today. Weekday mornings at 7. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Got some good App State football news that we'll get to in just a bit. The reason why we'll wait just a bit is because right now, Panthers insider Joe Person from The Athletic joins us. I almost said longtime Panthers reporter, but 
I don't want to make Joe feel old. Joe, how many years have you been on the beat? 10, 12 years? Uh, a baker's dozen, my friend. Uh, started in 2010, that memorable Jimmy Clausen 2-14 and 14 season. <laughs> Congratulations on the baker's dozen years covering the team. I just didn't know how many years qualify for being longtime Panthers reporters, so just want to be safe there. Let's get to what... Oh, yeah. You, you, you are absolutely... Uh, you are, you're not insulting me, uh, you, but that is certainly qualified. Let's get to what's going on this week. What have you heard about Steve Wilkes since he interviewed on Tuesday? Because I don't know if this is related, but I found it interesting that they waited to request interviews with defensive candidates two days after they talked to him, and also no other teams, as far as I know, have requested to speak with Wilkes. Yeah, I'm a little surprised about that. I, I thought that uh, the judge and, and listen, these things can can change, and I mean, I I think we still might have some more jobs come open before all said and done. So just just because this first week we haven't heard anyone request permission to talk to Steve Wilkes doesn't mean it won't happen. I've, I've kind of kept my eye on Indianapolis just because Wilkes was a, an assistant coach in Chicago on those Lovey Smith Bears teams when Chris Ballard was a Bears scout, who now is the, the Colts GM. So, But uh, to this point, no, you're right. He is, he is not, uh, not had anybody call to at least that, that's become public. Um, so I, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into the, the fact that, that they requested those other defensive guys after Wilkes, um, you know, it, it, as you look at this field, I mean, it's impossible not to see the pattern with the, uh, with the offensive guys, um, a lot of them seven on the offensive side. And not only that, all seven of them have background with quarterbacks. Six of them played the position, everyone but Jim Caldwell, who was a, a defensive back at Iowa. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it feels like it's stacked on that side. But listen, I think Steve Wilkes went in and made a good pitch, made a good presentation. And uh, you and I have talked a lot about how much he did in those 13 weeks and 12 games making the Panthers respectable and, and winning over the locker room in a very, uh, very obvious fashion. There are a lot of things that have been surprising about this search so far. Scott Fitterer said it wasn't going to be a long list, and you're talking about double-digit candidates. And you had a story that you worked on for The Athletic talking about the air-quote hot OC candidates that have been interviewed and how they've done as head coaches that I thought was interesting. And the Panthers, there are three candidates, three OCs, that they have requested to interview who have only been OCs for one year. Talking about Mike Kafka, talking about Ken Dorsey and Ben Johnson, who has North Carolina ties, the Detroit Lions OC. You would think, Joe, two years after the Joe Brady experience getting interviews after his first season in Charlotte, Carolina might value the larger sample size with some of these offensive guys, but after doing the homework, what have you found about how serious Carolina should be considering these candidates? 
Well, right. I mean, it's it's interesting, and I appreciate you mentioning that. I, I had some help from one of our database reporters, and we just went back over the last 10 years because you sit here and you think, well, uh, the McVeigh pipeline and Zach Taylor and, and all these guys who who so well that must be, you know, overwhelmingly leaning in their favor in terms of the raw data wins and losses. But over the last 10 years, the, the, the new coaches, the rookie head coaches, have only won 1.5% of more games than, than the retreads, the so-called retreads um, of the world. So, and, and Andy Reed, you know, certainly helps the, that retread number with, with what he's been able to do in Kansas city and to a lesser extent, Bruce Arians did during his time in Tampa Bay. But, but it's not, I guess what I'm getting at is it, it's not like, Oh my gosh, you hire one of these offensive whiz kids and you know, you can write your ticket. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think we knew that before the data, but it did reinforce it. And uh, I thought Tony Dungy, who I uh, was able to speak with for the article, really made some of the most salient points in that he said, and, and he's advised owners on, on hiring search, on, on coaching searches. And he said that um, he doesn't get caught up in old, young, even offense, defense. He wants to know from the owner, like, what are you looking for? You know, what, what I want, let me hear your vision. And then, then maybe it's, you know, then you can kind of steer them toward one of those other categories we just talked about. But he, Dungy said it's amazing and kind of sad that the number of times he's asked that question and the owners don't really have a clear cut answer. And I, I don't know that David Tepper really knew what he was looking for three years ago. You know, they had Mike McCarthy on the list, Kevin Stefanski, Eric Bieniemy. I think they were scheduled to meet with Josh McDaniels, and then they went down to Waco, and they just became enamored with with Matt Rule to the point that that was their guy, and they weren't going to let the New York Giants outbid them. But I do think, I think it feels like anyway, Tepper's got a better feel and better sense for what he's looking for this this go round. I want to know, based on the information you've been told, what exactly that might be, Joe Person, joining us here, because he did say in that press conference after Matt Rule was fired, I want, I want to do some things differently, and he talked about maybe the seven-year contract, we don't do that, the amount of control potentially in personnel that the head coach has, but if you're one of these candidates and you see what Matt gets, you're probably going to be asking for many of the same things. Meanwhile, Steve Wilkes, I would imagine probably would not be asking for that. And you probably aren't looking at a seven-year contract. And I wonder if that has any influence on this or if you think there is a white whale out there to be had for David Tepper in this cycle. Yeah, it's a great question. And and certainly, like, look, the, these candidates aren't stupid. Like, everyone's going to be paying a nice sum. But Dave Tepper you know, other than the Broncos ownership group, new ownership group, you know, no one has more money than Dave Tepper. And so they know they're going to, you know, they they can ask for more money here and probably get it. Now the seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I would think they're going to be, I don't think David Tepper loved 
the idea and it ended up getting offset by Nebraska. But, but the whole fact that, that he was potentially going to have to pay Matt rule 40 million, not to coach, you know, I think he's going to avoid going down that road, but there again, like if he gets all um, focused on, let's say Shane Steichen and Steichen's got other offers, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past Tepper to, 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 you know, roll out another long-term deal with a lot of money. I mean, he has said there are no, um, that there's no salary cap on coaches' salaries or facilities. That's a whole nother topic, the facilities. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, so I expect them to spend a lot of, David Tepper to spend a lot of money and get the guy he wants. Joe Person, he's on Twitter at Joseph Person, read his stuff in The Athletic, you and I are on the same page that Steve Wilkes should get the job, but real quickly at the end here, do you think he does? I don't know. Again, I've advocated that he should for reasons that we've discussed. I mean, I I just was just writing this for for The Athletic. Like, the sheer numbers suggest that the odds are in the favor of one of these offensive guys just because there's Seven, seven out of ten. Of well, actually, let me frame um, it differently. Then, if he doesn't yeah, get, ahead, let please. me. If he doesn't get the job, what reaction do you think is going to be stronger? The local fan base who wanted to see their guy get the gig, or the national reaction of another black coach who was in the mix and looked like he was deserving not getting it? Yeah, that's that's a real factor, and it should be. I mean, this is a league that has a terrible history of uh, hiring qualified black candidates and Steve Wilkes proved that he's more than qualified. And so, you know, their, their conference, the NFL conference call yesterday where they're, they're touting the Rooney rule and, and, you know, diverse search committees and all this, but the proof will be in the pudding. And you're right, my friend, if, if Steve Wilkes gets overlooked for this job, David Tepper's going to have some questions to answer when, whenever, especially if he's introducing a 30 something year old white former offensive coordinator as his head coach in a week or two. Joe, keep up the great work. Happy New Year. I know it's a little bit too late to be saying those types of things. Just haven't seen you in a little while, and I hope to run into you sometime soon. Thanks, my friend. All right, buddy. Have a good weekend. No, no, you too. There's Joe Person from The Athletic. The App State note I wanted to pass along. They brought back Scott Sloan to be their defensive coordinator. Once upon a time, he was on the defensive staff for App. I think he spent eight years from 2010 to 2017. Since then, he's been at a rival. He's been at Georgia Southern as the D.C., giving App State problems in a handful of years. But App State was able to pull him away from Georgia and bring him back on the mountain and boom. So that's pretty good news for the Mountaineers. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred. First to call in gets our last pair of tickets to see the Carolina Thunderbirds tomorrow night at the Winston-Salem Fairground Annex. Now it's time for my NFL playoff picks. Got to get these in before we get to Pete Thamel, who is the top college sports newsbreaker from ESPN, just named the co-national sports writer of the year by the Triad-based National Sports Media Association. 
He's one of the best out there, and there are a number of things we want to talk about with Pete when he joins us in just a bit. But let's get to the playoff picks, not just for Super Wild Card Weekend, but beyond that as well. And we start with the first game we have tomorrow. 49ers Seahawks. Seattle limped into the playoffs. Really, we'd all like to see Detroit playing in this game rather than Seattle. It's a good story that they're in the postseason and Geno Smith had some success. They just haven't been very good over the last month. And the big problem with Seattle is that they have a terrible run defense. And here's the thing. San Francisco might have the best offensive running scheme in the NFL. They're at home. They're just rolling. And they're going to blow out Seattle. I think this is one of the two blowouts we're going to see on Super Wild Card Weekend. Tomorrow night, Chargers, Jags. LA's fraudulent. Brandon Staley hasn't impressed me, even though he seemed to have impressed everybody last year. That's just the result, the byproduct of Justin Herbert being Justin Herbert. He'd make any coach look good. The receivers should be better than the way they performed this year for LA. Just saw today that Mike Williams is going to be out, the former Clemson receiver. Jacksonville's at home. Jacksonville's red hot. Jacksonville's getting points for some reason. I think they win this game on their home field. Sunday afternoon, Dolphins, Bills. This should also be a blowout, right? It's the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen versus Skylar Thompson. There's a chance that DeMar Hamlin might be in the building in Buffalo. If that's the case, they're going to lose their minds, and that's such a tough place to win. Buffalo beats down the hobbled Miami Dolphins. Getting to Sunday night, Ravens. Or excuse me, I skipped an afternoon game on Sunday. Sorry. Giants-Vikings. This is a funny game for me. Everybody and their mother has the Giants. But Minnesota's the team right here that's favored by three points. Everybody hates Minnesota, but it feels like everybody's overcorrected on this. You can look at some of the numbers of how some of the win margin isn't great and how they've been disrespected, and some of it might be rightful. Give me the home team here. It almost feels unpopular to say, oh, yeah, give me the three-point home favor. I'm going to do that here. Like the Vikings and Kirk Cousins to beat Daniel Jones and the Giants on the road in a playoff game. Ravens-Bengals is the Sunday night game, and this is my shocker of the weekend. If Tyler Hunley plays, let me say that again. If Tyler Hunley plays, and it's not the Boston College quarterback Anthony Brown going. Boston College? Cincinnati is in real trouble. I know Lamar Jackson's out. That's what everybody seems to want to focus on. But this Ravens team still runs the ball really well without him. And they play good defense. And personnel-wise, they match up well with the receivers that Cincinnati has. You got Humphrey and you have Peters to match up with Chase and with T. Higgins. You can play two safeties over the top and limit Joe Mixon. And I think the Bengals are a little cocky. Maybe a lot cocky. Joe Mixon had this quote saying that he stand, we're the big dogs in the AFC. Everybody knows that they're gunning for us. We're going to get everybody's best shot. At the end of the day, if we're not turning the ball over and take care of the little things, we can't be beat. So we're just going to go ahead. We're going to take everyone's best shot, but they better be ready to take ours. A lot of confidence for a team that blew it at the end in the Super Bowl and was a wild card team during the playoffs last year. 
Just think that the Ravens in a divisional game here stunner every year in the wild card weekend. I think it's the Ravens taking down Cincinnati. And on Monday night, it's not really an upset to say Tampa Bay, the home team's going to win with Tom Brady. They are getting points from Dallas. We like Tampa to win at home. Turmoil for Dallas in the playoffs? Who would have thunk it? We like the Bucks in that spot. So these are the matchups that would produce next weekend in the divisional round. Ravens at Chiefs. I picked the Ravens to win the Super Bowl in the preseason. Even if Lamar returns, they're not beating Kansas City coming off a bye. Andy Reid, look at that record of him coming off a bye. It's pretty good. Kansas City's going to move on after having uh, the first weekend off. They'll be off to the AFC Championship game. But will they play on a neutral field in Atlanta against the Buffalo Bills? That's the question. Bills-Jags. I don't think we're going to get the game in Atlanta. Give me Jacksonville to take down the Buffalo Bills. Jacksonville strikes me as that Cincinnati team this year. You got the quarterback. You're red hot. They're entering the playoffs with four consecutive wins. You got a Super Bowl winning coach in Doug Peterson. I still have some concerns with Buffalo's offense and the way they run it. I don't think they've been nearly as as explosive as they normally are. And running the ball is such a big deal in the postseason. They don't really run the ball particularly well. So we're going to go with the upset. We're going to go with the Jags winning in Buffalo to advance to the AFC Championship. So that you're not going to get the neutral site AFC Championship game in Atlanta. On the NFC side, Bucks-Eagles. Tampa beat Philadelphia last year in the wild card round. Not this time. The Eagles, they're going to end Tom Brady's tenure with the Bucks. Will it end his career? Well, that remains to be seen. Vikings, Niners, this is a mismatch. San Francisco's great in the margins, great in the details, great when it comes to the analytics. Minnesota's the opposite of a lot of those things. I think the Niners will win and probably win handedly, which gives us these two championship matchups. Jaguars at Chiefs. 49ers at Eagles. Too much too soon for Jacksonville when you get to this stage. Kansas City gets back to the Super Bowl for the third time in four seasons. 49ers-Eagles. This would be a great game. But I'm going to lean on the team that last year made the playoffs. A quarterback that last year made the playoffs, I should say. And Jalen Hurts going up against Brock Purdy. You got to lean on the home team. That's still very physical in the trenches and has the advantage at quarterback there, in my opinion. We're going with the Eagles to get to the Super Bowl. A couple of one seeds. Chiefs, Eagles in the Super Bowl in Arizona. This will look a lot like, I think, the Tampa-Kansas City Super Bowl from a few years ago. Kansas City, as flashy as they are, going to be outmatched in the trenches, the O-line and the D-line. So I think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl against Kansas City. That is my pick. Little chalky when you get to the championship, when you get to the Super Bowl, Eagles over Chiefs, but some upsets along the way, the Jags to the championship game, and you got Cincinnati this weekend losing to Baltimore. The Jags do kind of give off some vibes of Cincinnati last year. That I like that. Duval! Pete Thamel going to join us in just a few minutes. He is... 
the co-national sports writer of the year from ESPN. So we'll ask him about that and his career. This is the first time he's being recognized in Winston-Salem at the NSMA alongside a Hall of Fame inductee on his college game day team and Lee Corso. We'll get to the likelihood that ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips might take the Big Ten job now that Kevin Warren went back to the NFL. And which of the ACC Big Four that are fresh off a bowl game appearance, most intriguing in 2023, something we'll discuss with Pete Thamel as well when the preeminent newsbreaker in college football joins us next. It's the Drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. Now that the college football season is a wrap, ending on Monday, reflecting on the 2022 season, one of my favorite moments easily was App State's month of September. The 63-61 game against North Carolina, one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Then App follows it up with the win in College Station. And then a week after that, College Game Day came to boom for the Troy game. And one of the key pieces of College Game Day is insider Pete Thamel, who was named the uh, NSMAs, the National Sports Media Association's National Sports Writer of the Year, along with Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic. And Pete's nice enough to join us now. And Pete, what I'll never forget about from that day was sharing a press box with you at Wake Forest later in the day, and none of us in the press box were paying attention to the game we were at as we all watched Chase Bryce heave it at the end of the game and beat Troy. How do you remember that day in Hull going up the mountain and then watching as we all did in Winston-Salem? Well, what I remember about that is it shows you what great reporting instincts I have because I missed the best finish of the season. I was there at the stadium and then decided to leave. So that really shows you, uh, you know, what kind of what kind of reporter I am, of what kind of a nose I have for the story when I willingly drove away from the best story of the day in college football. And it was a good game this late too, by the way, but um, not quite, uh, not quite the, uh, not quite the finish of the season for the uh, for for the, for the sport. But I mean. I just remember vividly just watching, you know, watching on an iPad. I think it was the uh, it was the Liberty beat writer popped it up, and Ian McCaw, the uh, Liberty AD, actually was there with us, and we all screamed like schoolgirls, like "Oh my god!" Like it was a, uh, yeah, it was just one of those quintessential college football moments. You can't uh, you can't beat it. And what a what a wild month in in, in your state September was, and uh, <clears throat> what a great scene Boone was for 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 game day. I mean, just just uh, it was electric from. You know, I usually get there around uh, 6 a.m. and it was rocking at 6 a.m. And, and they kept the energy up the whole time. It was uh, what a town, what a what a place, what a spot. That was uh, that was definitely one of the top spots for uh, for the show this year. You'll be back in Winston Salem this summer to accept the National Sports Writer of the Year award. And here's one thing that's cool about it, Pete: the awards voted on by your peers. Just how satisfying is it to have reached this place as the preeminent? newsbreaker in college sports and have the rest of the industry recognize you as one of the best we've got yeah i mean it was stunning that it happened and uh it's been overwhelming in the aftermath and i appreciate having me on to, to talk about it josh i just uh it's still a little bit a little bit overwhelming uh that the news release came out at five o'clock pretty much while we were on the show on game day and then 
nobody has said anything to me in our office about it, which I didn't really mind. And then Reese, of course, brings it up on the air before they introduce me uh, for my hit before the title game. And uh, it was really nice to see the, the guys on the set give a, give, give a standing ovation. And uh, yes, and all my peers who said they voted for me now are asking for beers because if they didn't, I wouldn't have got it because I tied with Ken. So now I think I gotta, <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pick up a few bar tabs along the, uh, along the way because of, because uh, everyone feels like they, uh, they were a little bit of a part of it. So, but no, it's, it's the highest recognition you, you, you can have. And uh, really just grateful. Uh, I got the call about it. Uh, on Monday, uh, we were doing our Rose Bowl show actually, and uh, Dave Gorin called, and it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty surprising. You know, I just, uh, I'd obviously known, known I'd been nominated, but uh, yeah, it's uh, when you look at that list of, uh, of of folks who won, whether it's my coworker and my college buddy Jeff Patson or Adrian Wojnarowski, you go back being a, uh, you know, just you look at Bill Plasky, Bob Ryan. I mean, the the list is just an unbelievable to be uh, to, to to be lumped in with uh, with that that caliber of talent in our business. And it's really flattering and really an honor. And it's really cool for our city to have everybody in town and all the different logos where. It's not just the national winners, it's state award winners too, where you might go to one of the social functions and you go to a restaurant and you're sitting at a table with the voice of Arizona State or the beat writer with the Cleveland Browns or whoever it might be. And having everybody together is a really cool thing. But you mentioned that there are Hall of Fame inductees like Bill Plaschke that are going to be inducted this year and also... Lee Corso from College Game Day. You see, you're a new member of the Game Day crew. I imagine it's an intimidating thing to be on that show, given how much of a unit they are and how much it seems like you guys are a family. What's that been like? And I imagine Corso is probably the grandfather of it all. Yeah, no, it, it, it is it is a family, and they they have gone above and beyond to welcome uh, myself and Jess Sims, and we were kind of rookies together. Pat McAfee too, um, although he'd been on the show a little bit before um, for a stretch, so he wasn't he wasn't completely new. But every every single person, I think the thing that that people don't understand about game day is that it's like a moving city every week. There's about 150 people. So there's the, you know, the handful of guys you see on the desk and then some of the reporters like myself, Gene Wojciechowski, Jen Lada, Sims, and, and a few others, but there are the, the magic of game day goes behind the scenes. There are, you know, un, it's the best of ESPN in every way, the best statisticians, the best producers, uh, the best coordinating producers. Um, you know, there's four or five tractor trailers that go every week to rebuild the set everywhere. There's just, there is an amazing amount of logistics that goes into it. And you can be in Eugene, Oregon, and your office looks exactly the same there as it did the week before in Knoxville, Tennessee. So it's, uh, that that's the magic. But to ask, you know, Co- Coach Corso, has been unbelievable to me. He has been warm. He has been welcoming. I mean, he he is game day in uh, in, in so many ways. And to see him and his reaction, he you know he didn't know he was being honored, um, and they surprised him on the air the other night. That was that was one of the great moments of the uh, of the season to see to see his reaction and to see a surprise. And he is uh, he's been a Hall of Famer in every, every way. He is a little bit like the like the grandpa of the show, and it, it's been. Really fun to get to know him and, and, and be around him, travel travel with him, and just uh, to to just be in his presence. He's just a he's just a warm, genuine, fun human being. Pete Thamel with us here. While I've got you, got to throw a couple local news items your way to see what you're hearing. With Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren going back to the NFL, all eyes around here are on the guy 
who wanted the job a couple years ago, and that's ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips. How do you think decision makers in the Big Ten view Phillips in terms of being a potential replacement for Warren? Well, it's interesting because the, the key phrase there, Josh, is Big Ten decision makers. And, it, you know, you can handicap these things and make lists, but we ultimately have a hard time when it's commissioner searches really knowing the presidential decision makers and who they're going to be. And the Big Ten has a crew of presidents. I think 12 or 14 have been hired in the last four years. So it's always hard. It's like when a when a football job's open and there's no AD, and everyone's like, who are they going to hire? It's like, well, if you tell me who is going to make the hire, it's obviously easier to to project who the hire is going to be. So um, Jim Phillips is certainly going to be a name. He was the runner-up last time. He has deep ties in Chicago from his time at Northwestern. He has respect of the ADs, the ones that, you know, the veteran ones that have, uh, that have been there. So I certainly think he'll be a name that comes up in the search. Uh, you know, what handicapping, it gets a little tricky, like at what are the odds and, and such. But I, I, but I think, you know, anyone would be naive to not include him in, uh, in, in some kind of list. And I think there'll be some momentum from the AD level for him, but that sometimes doesn't matter in the searches. For the first time ever, all four of North Carolina's ACC teams this past year went to a bowl game in the same year, including North Carolina winning the Coastal, Mike Elko winning ACC Coach of the Year. Out of those four schools flipping the calendar here to 2023, who intrigues you the most to follow leading into the fall? Well, I'm going to give a dual answer. I'm super intrigued by Drake May. I think he's one of the five most compelling guys in the, in the sport. Um, and I, I really think he, he projects as a rare talent. So uh, North Carolina's never had a number one pick in the NFL draft, which is kind of a, it's kind of a funky, quirky stat. And uh, he's got a shot. I'm not going to say he's going to be better than Caleb Williams. He's probably going to be the favorite there. But I think Drake May is going to have a, a shot at that. But I'm also really intrigued by what Mike Elko did. I think him turning the battleship Duke and winning nine games was, uh, was probably one of the more underrated uh, coaching jobs in, that, that, that had been executed uh, this season. I mean, just, uh, I was, I went through there in August when we had a ESPN meetings in Charlotte, I, I went over there and uh, yeah, there was just, there was just so much growth that had happened in that program. And uh, Riley Leonard emerging as one of the star ACC quarterbacks was certainly a, a pleasant surprise. And uh, now that there's some, consistency and some success and you know Duke's a little bit more of a destination now it'll be really fascinating to see how he builds on that really quickly on Drake May we heard Pat Narduzzi saying that two teams offer Drake May close to five million dollars some have debunked that or some sources out there have debunked that in other reporting yeah. Mac Brown said you could figure out looking at the top of the recruiting rankings who tried to poach him what have you heard about Drake May well, I spoke to Drake May about it in a story a couple weeks ago, and I yeah. spoke to Mark May about it. And uh, I mean, look, there is a there's a, there's a market there. It's a vibrant market. So I you'd be I I would be naive to say that that, that weren't people who wanted Drake May on their team and would have paid a lot of money to uh, do it. Five million to me sounds like a little bit sounds a little extreme, but I mean, we're just we're living in an unregulated world where those conversations are going to happen between third parties, and I think that that is what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, but look, like it, it, it's an interesting new existential question, Josh, we have to ask in college sports. How much is one of the best quarterbacks in the country worth? How much is Caleb Williams worth the USC? Probably more than $5 million, right? If you combine ticket sure. sales and TV ratings and, and, and everything that's generated. And 
you know, for, for, for Drake May, who signed a deal with UNC's collective that uh, I'd imagine was, uh, was fairly robust. I mean, is he worth a couple, is he worth a thousand season tickets? I don't know that fan base that well, but probably, right? Yeah. Like, hey, let's go watch the number one pick in the, you know, one of the top five pick in the draft. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're in interesting times, certainly fluid. <laughs> you, you have uh, big shoes to follow from last year when you get here to Winston for the NSMA. Pete Thamel here with us. Last year, it was Scott Van Pelt and Charles Barkley holding it down at the hotel bar in Winston-Salem till about 1, 2 in the morning. So you got big shoes to fill there, Pete. Yeah, I don't want to fill those shoes. I won't be able to get my speech the next day. (laughs) All right, Pete. Well, congratulations, and thank you for making the time. It's well-deserved. You don't need me to tell you that. The rest of the industry just did with this award. Uh, We'll see you in the summer and follow your reporting plenty of times between now and then. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Josh. Really, really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you in the summer. You're on the air. Wake up with Jeffrey Griffin and Triad today. Weekday mornings at 7. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Take it to the house is brought to you by our friends at East Coast Wings and Grill. You can order online. EastCoastWings.com. They have locations from Burlington to Lexington, Charlotte to Winston-Salem. Great wings, great food altogether. Love the burgers. WD had a salad there once that he was all about. Pay them a visit this weekend. Watch some of the games. Heck, I might even do so. I don't know. Haven't decided yet. It's a Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. We will take it to the house in a second. But it just makes us all feel really good to close out our week singing some Glen Campbell. Been doing it for some years. You might even sing along with us. Let's belt it out, guys. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Riding out on a horse in a star-spangled rodeo. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Getting cards and letters from people I don't even know. And offers coming over. Take it to the house. Past the 15, past the 10, past the 5 for the drive. We'll take it to the house. One, two, three. So this lady did not specify what airline she flew with. A lot of airline news the last few weeks. But computers being down at the start of the week and then the Southwest stuff a few weeks ago. So she was coming back from a business trip in Chicago. She's from Oregon. Oregon woman. Back in 2018. Um, And she explains all this on a TikTok saying that her bag actually took a detour and ended up in Central America somehow. Hmm. Uh, So she worked with the airline for several months and they thought it was a complete mystery too. They couldn't figure out where it went. I mean, if the airline doesn't know, who, who the heck else is supposed to know? So, four years passes. This week, she gets a call. Her bag is in Houston. Oh. Turns out it came in from a flight from Honduras. Oh. Ah. Uh, she gets the bag. She picks it up. There's a little light damage, but everything was still intact, and it turns out what happens, or what had happened was, it wasn't scanned properly. 
Was there anything of note in the bag didn't, that's worth keeping? Didn't specify what all was in it, but... How much of your wardrobe do you still wear from four years ago? Oh, not much. Outside of, like, maybe, like, old high school pullovers for baseball, like, that's nah, about there's it. Still, there's still some long sleeve shirts and yeah. jackets and some pants. Nah, I don't know about pants. No, pants is a no-go for me. Shoes, no. It's pullovers. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> have you ever had a nightmare story with airports in I'm your only, bag? I've only flown twice. In your life? In my life. Actually, no. Three times. New York once. Florida twice. Yeah, I've traveled a lot. I need to get out. Yeah, you do. You're cultured in more ways than one. Or you're not <laughs> You're not cultured. You're oh, I know. I remember one time we were leaving Providence, Rhode Island, and we were with the team with East Carolina. And we left at 6 a.m., had a 9 a.m. flight. 8.30, we get on the flight, and then we have to deplane for a technical issue. Problem is the person doing the technical work had to fly in from Baltimore. So our connecting flight we were going to miss, they had to fix the issue. When they eventually did that, we left at 2 in the afternoon, had to connect to Baltimore, and then fly into Raleigh where we still had an hour and a half drive after that. But apparently that was so much confusion that none of the bags made it from Providence to Raleigh, and you have to file each of those individually for the entire team. So we left at 6 a.m., ended up arriving without our bags into Greenville, America, 12.30 at night. That was not Southwest, though. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.